stay classy. RTHK News. It's one o'clock. I'm Pierre Tremblay. The top story is a risky operation is underway to rescue the 12 boys and their football coach trapped in a cave in Thailand. Millions are advised to leave their homes in Japan after heavy flooding leaves dozens of people dead. And Matthew Jung assures students awaiting their public examination results that there are plenty of spots in local tertiary institutions. The Thai authorities say they've begun an operation to bring 12 boys and their football coach out of the flooded caves where they've been trapped for the past two weeks. The man directing the rescue said it could take up to four days to bring all 13 to the surface, depending on the weather. The BBC's Sophie Long is at the cave. We have been waiting for this for a long time. We've just heard from the man leading this operation. He confirmed that today is D-Day. The conditions will never be any better than they are now. He confirmed that the rescue operation, which we've been waiting to get underway for several days now, began at 10 a.m. this morning. It is a very difficult and very dangerous mission that they're carrying out. Thirteen expert international divers will lead the operation, supported by five Thai divers. They said that each rescue of each boy will take at least 11 hours. It began at 10 a.m. this morning, so we're expecting, if successful, the first boy could emerge from the cave after 9 p.m. local time this evening, and then it will continue throughout. So they have done all the planning and preparation they can. It is an unprecedented mission. They will begin bringing out the boys today, but... As you will know, we had that tragic news two days ago that a Thai expert diver, a former Navy SEAL, died on his way out of that cave, just underlining just how treacherous the conditions are. They said they have to go now, that the boys are physically fit, that their parents have been told and they support their mission, and he said that the boys' hearts are strong and determined. Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe says rescue workers are in a race against time to save people trapped after several days of heavy rain. The authorities say at least 48 people are now known to have been killed and more than 20 others are missing. Local media give higher figures. More than 4 million people have been ordered to or advised to leave their homes. The BBC's Andrew Plant has the latest. From a helicopter as far as the eye can see, parts of Japan are underwater. Mass evacuations are now underway. Whole families are being floated to safety others left stranded and forced to wait on roofs for rescue. Most of the damage is a few hundred miles west of Tokyo in Japan's Hiroshima prefecture, hit by high winds, rising river levels and what Japan's meteorological agency has called unprecedented rainfall. With roads cut off, the floodwaters have caused escape routes to crumble. Whole stretches of road have collapsed. With widespread landslides across the country, hundreds of homes and buildings have been destroyed. The U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has stressed that there will be no let-up in sanctions on North Korea until it's got rid of its nuclear weapons. Mr. Pompeo is speaking in Tokyo after talks with his Japanese and South Korean counterparts. The economic sanctions and the continued enforcement, the world will see continued enforcement actions by the United States in the days and weeks ahead. And I'm counting on those uh, other countries that are with me here today and others around the world to continue to enforce these sanctions as well. Uh, The enforcement of those sanctions will continue until denuclearization is complete. Mr. Pompeo said he was encouraged by the progress made during his recent two-day visit to North Korea, adding that officials in Pyongyang had reaffirmed their commitment to denuclearization. He dismissed a North Korean statement that the stance taken by U.S. negotiators was gangster-like and not constructive. 
Chief Secretary Matthew Zhang has been giving assurances to secondary school students who are waiting for their public examination results to be released on Wednesday. Writing in his blog, Mr. Zhang said there are more than enough places in local tertiary institutions to accommodate all 50,000 students who took the Diploma of Secondary Education or DSE exams this year. But the students are being urged to do their homework in deciding which school they're going to apply to. Esther Ho is a teacher who offers career guidance to students. We advise students and parents to be aware of the articulation pathway, uh, the support and academic standards of these programs, whether they have got uh, accreditations, and uh, most importantly, whether the programs will offer ample opportunities in the knowledge foundation as well as um, learning experience and exposure to the industry and connections to the industry. And all these are factors that uh, students and their parents should consider before they make the final decision. Federation of Trade Unions lawmaker Alice Mack has urged the government to expand its housing policies and offer rental subsidies to the needy. Speaking on RTHK's letter to Hong Kong, she says the measures announced by the chief executive last month show that Carrie Lam is determined to try to bring down property prices. But Ms. Mack says the government should do even more. The government should adopt the FTU's proposal for the three-pronged approach as next step. This approach embraces, firstly, the giving of the rental subsidies for low-income families. Secondly, re-implementing tenancy control. And finally, extending the vacancy test to the secondary market. With this strategy, I'm sure we can help grassroots families solve the housing difficulties. The foreign minister of Sudan says the government and rebels in South Sudan have agreed to share power. After talks in Uganda, South Sudan's president, Salva Kiir, will reinstate the rebel leader, Rik Mashar, as the country's deputy leader. The BBC's Marcus Erbe reports. The civil war in South Sudan began almost five years ago after President Salva Kiir sacked his deputy, Rik Mashar, accusing him of planning a coup. Now the two men have agreed that Mr. Mashar will resume his position as the country's first vice president. The agreement comes after the two rivals signed a ceasefire last month. A similar power-sharing deal was agreed in 2015, but it broke down a year later and fighting resumed. Tens of thousands of people have been killed in the violence in South Sudan and millions were forced from their homes. Business groups in Britain have broadly welcomed proposals by the Prime Minister Theresa May for future relations with the European Union. Under the plans agreed on Friday by the Cabinet, British manufacturers would remain closely aligned to rules set by the EU. However, services, which make up four-fifths of the UK economy, would be excluded. The leader of the main opposition Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, said the plan left a lot of questions unanswered. We don't know exactly what all this deal means yet. It uh, has left out services from any trade arrangement in the future. Um, It has not got widespread support within the Conservative Party. I've got a feeling the whole thing might start to unravel in a few days. It's also very unclear uh, whether or not they could deliver that as an agreement with Europe. The French actress Emmanuelle Seigneur has declined an invitation to join the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences because of its treatment for of her husband, the director Roman Polanski. Writing in a French newspaper, Miss Seigneur called the Academy hypocritical for stripping Polanski of membership earlier this year. Here's the BBC's Julian Bedford. 
Emmanuel Signe told the Academy, non merci. She said it must have thought she was a characterless Aravis if it believed that she would forget that for the past 29 years she'd been married to one of the greatest film directors. Miss Signe blamed what she called the prevailing mood for the expulsion of Mr Polanski. He's admitted having unlawful sex with a 13-year-old girl 40 years ago and was one of the first people stripped of membership of the Academy under new guidelines adopted following the wave of allegations of sexual misconduct in the film industry. Sports and at the Football World Cup, England have qualified for the semi-finals for the first time in 28 years after beating Sweden by 2-0. Here's the BBC's Richard Conway. In the city where Russia builds its space rockets, England's World Cup journey refused to come back to Earth. After a cagey opening, it was Harry Maguire who struck first, powering a header home from Ashley Young's corner. But Sweden fought back, Jordan Pickford making two excellent saves and England players throwing themselves to block the Swedish threat. Soon, though, it was 2-0, another bullet header, Delhi Ali the scorer from Jesse Lingard's cross. England will now face either Croatia or Russia on Wednesday night in Moscow for a place in the World Cup final. England will play Croatia in the second semi-final on Wednesday. They beat tournament hosts Russia in a dramatic penalty shootout after the game finished 2-all after extra time. Russian football fans have been applauding the achievements of the national team despite their elimination. President Putin called them heroes after their loss. The first semi-final on Tuesday will be a mouth-watering clash between Belgium and France. To end the news, our top stories once again. A risky operation is underway to rescue the 12 boys and their football coach trapped in a cave in Thailand. Millions are advised to leave their homes in Japan after heavy flooding leaves dozens of people dead. And Matthew Jung assures students awaiting their public examination results that there are plenty of spots in local tertiary institutions. The news from RTHK. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a journey by a journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new value, and a new experience. 